Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Woohoo! Welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. I've missed you all. I hope you've missed me as well. You can see beside me. The glorious bottle of Spiro Avenue water, which I am drinking tonight in preparation for my liver being obliterated the next time I go to East Lansing, my alma mater at Michigan State. And what is my first bar going to be? Where else other than the Landshark, East Lansing? We're friendly with these owners. They're great guys. They're MSU alums, the bunch of guys that lived together, partied together, used to go to the Landshark when they weren't partying at their house on Charles Street. And they came back and bought their favorite college bar. It is the dream. And it is certainly mine one day if I have the means to go buy. Not the Landshark because they ain't selling, but I don't know, maybe the Riv or Rick's or something. Rick's could use some rehabilitation. Check them out. TheLandsharkMSU.com. New ownership as of January. These are my friends. This is a completely remodeled structure, a completely different menu. They have a whole new shark bowl. So I'm drinking water tonight because when I get back up there, liver's in trouble. The college boy comes back out. Check them out. Landshark Bar and Grill, East Lansing, Michigan. We love them. Thank you for the support. If it's good enough for the governor, it is good enough for you. So let's get to it. There's a lot to get to. I want to start with this, and then we're going to get to our esteemed guest. I want to talk a little bit about self-awareness and, in general, owning your flaw. I think these are underrated concepts. I think these are lost art forms. And I think really those who neglect to be aware of themselves and aware of their flaws are doomed to be the worst version of themselves because we all have flaws. Everyone's flawed. I mean, some more than others, no doubt. Not everyone's equal, but no one's perfect, right? So having flaws isn't the issue. Not being aware of those flaws that you have is the issue. And I remember in college, I told you it was like sophomore year, I think I took this speech class and the whole class was just giving speeches. There's nothing else, no written assignments, nothing. I don't even think attendance was graded as long as you showed up the day of your speech. So every two weeks, you had to give this big speech, right? First big speech I give for the class was like 25% of my grade. I was told that it was a very good speech, but my hands were all over the place. I had my hands on my face, on my hips, on my ass. It was, they were all over the place. That was the big note. That's why I got marked down. It was like the Ricky Bobby thing, right? And I didn't know what to do with my hands. So I became aware. I had a flaw in my game. I became very aware of my hands and I started making more purposeful gestures. Not that you have to stand at attention like uh, a few good men, but you know, don't have them on your hand. Don't rub your ass in the middle of a speech. Ideally, I've heard that's ill-advised. And I became aware of that flaw in the game. Self-awareness was key. And I did a lot better on that second speech, much better. It's all about awareness, character flaws, technical flaws in your job, whatever it is. We all have them. Got to know about them. Got to be honest. Got to address them. And that brings us to Detroit sports. And I think, and I could make the argument, and we're going to break it out a little bit, that the Detroit Pistons for years, for over a decade, have been the least self-aware organization in the NBA, if not all of major professional sports in this country. I want to talk about Tom Gore specifically because the owner sets the tone. The owner is the one driving the bus about where you're going as an organization. And this, I mean, this is, it feels like yesterday, and it, it kind of was in some regard because there's so many instances of this. But Tom Gores, let's take you back to April 2012. This is what Tom Gores was saying 
back in April 2012. Quote, we better make the playoffs next season. That's realistic. We have great players on this team. I'm not sure we have to add any players to make the playoffs next season. That is Tom Gore speaking to the media in April of 2012. Who was he talking about? What roster was he referring to? What uh, great team did they have? What great pieces did they have in place that they didn't need to add anything to make some noise in the Eastern Conference, if not the NBA in mass? Let's look at their opening night lineup just a few months later. Look at this mishmash just disaster. Point guard, Rodney Stuckey. Shooting guard, Brandon Knight. Small forward, a passes prime, Tayshawn Prince. Power forward, Jason Maxiel. Center, Greg Monroe, also receiving minutes that opening night. Jonas Jarepko, Kyle Singler, and Kim English, who was out of the league like a year later. The team ends up finishing 29-53. and 53. Does Tom Gores look at that roster, say that they had a lot of good pieces in place and seem like a self-aware guy to you? I would say he was in denial about the state of the team. Let's fast forward. Tom Gores. Quote from June 2013, the next year before the next season. Yeah, it's playoffs or bust for us this season. It's safe to say there is an edict. We have very high expectations. What team, what group did Tom Gores have this very high bar for? What group was he saying deserves great things and should expect big things? They have high expectations for playoffs and beyond. Let's look at the lineup they rolled out that season. Opening night, a 37-year-old Chauncey Billups at point guard. Shooting guard, Will Bynum, a six-foot, if you're generous, shooting guard, by the way. Small forward, Josh Smith. Power forward, Greg Monroe at center. My least favorite player in the history of the NBA, Andre Drummond, who was still like 19 at the time. Wasn't even the good version of Drummond. Also receiving big minutes that night. Again, we see our friends Jonas Drepko and Kyle Singler. Final record, again, not a typo, 29 and 53. So this went on and on and on for years, and we could have done 20 minutes of examples of this where every year Tom Gores got in front of the mic and told the media, we're good, we're expecting big things, and they were denied. This goes on and on and on. We saw it in the Blake Griffin trade in 2018. His direct quote was, this move is about our championship vision. This was a group that he thought could win a title. Blake Griffin and his ailing knees and Reggie Jackson. This was the title core, supposedly. Of course, that group never won a playoff game, not around, not a single playoff game. They got swept when they got there. So Tom Gorse has been in denial for a long time. And by a product of that, the Pistons have been as well. But finally, Tom Gorse has gotten it. Troy Weaver was hired last year, immediately guts the roster. The turnover was immediate. The team, uh, turnover was massive. He tore the whole thing down to the stud. So we're going to start completely over. That's what he said. And I would argue he executed the best tank job in the history of the NBA. They were entertaining. They were competitive. All the young guys got better as the season went on. And they lost enough games where just one year later, one year from being in the abyss in no man's land, the Pistons have a real future now. They have the first overall pick. They have two guys that were on the all-rookie team. Doesn't even include Killian Hayes, who was hurt all year and still has promised. And one very smart general manager who finally, after years of lacking, finally provided the requisite self-awareness to escape the doldrums with which this organization was entrenched for years. So what's the conclusion? The Pistons have a long way to go. The Pistons still have flaws that need to be worked on. Plenty of them. 
but they're aware of them. They're not going in front of you telling you they're ready to, to party in the second, third, fourth round of the NBA playoffs. They got some ways to go, but they know it. They're self-aware. The days of denial are gone, and they are finally on the right path. That brings us to our guest, whom I think agrees with me on most of this. This is a guy that I've chased for some time. Nobody says yes to me the first time. I, I've never had that happen. Jim really made me stretch out. Jim Costa, 97 won the ticket. Great to have you, Jim. Welcome. Hey, Thanks Justin, no, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, they, they were kind of running on that hamster wheel of mediocrity for about 12 plus years. I mean, you can go back to when they insisted on Charlie V and Ben Gordon as an example of we don't need to rebuild in Detroit. We just need a quick little reboot. And two, three, four versions of that later, they realize tanking's this dirty word for some people, but rebuilding is necessary for every team. It's unfortunate all four are doing it at the same time in Detroit, but no, the Pistons have finally come around that you do have to start over. And now there's actually some life there. There's a pulse. I can't believe it. Like, it's just, I, I, it got so bad for so long. Oh my gosh. I was just convinced we were never going to get out of it. It's like, at the end of the day, the owner does drive the bus. And I don't know if Tom Gore's like stumbled into Troy Weaver. I guess you, I mean, do you remember can, they went a year without a general manager? Yeah. And like, it never got brought up. Yeah. They just had a president of basketball operations and a head coach, and it was nothing to see here, no general manager. And yet you see the difference a real GM can make. It's significant. We actually, we made fun of that whole ordeal that dragged out his quote unquote job search or, you know, a candidate search, whatever right. you want to call it for a long time. It was a joke. It was embarrassing. It was an indictment on ownership. I, I honestly, like at the end of the day, you have to give them credit for Troy Weaver because, you know, if we're going to knock him, but I, I don't know if Tom Gores had some shift in his brain where like, okay, we finally have to do this a different way. Or if Troy Weaver was just charming in the meeting when he met him and just like they got lucky. I don't really care. But at the end of the day, you agree we're in the right hands and in good hands right now. I love what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to knock Troy Weaver because, you know, you mentioned two guys on the all-rookie team, one first team, one second team. I would argue, not to be a homer, Stewart, you could have argued, was first team. He led all rookies in blocks and rebounds. Who was a better rookie big man than Isaiah Stewart? But I'm not telling you those guys are going to be stars in the league. What I'm telling you is the fact that he got those guys outside the lottery speaks to kind of that eye for talent. Jeremy Grant, I think he's largely overblown by Pistons fans. He's a volume shooter on a what was a bad team, but he's clearly better than the role he was cast in when he was in Denver or, you know, before that Oklahoma City. And a good general manager sees underutilized guys, diamonds in the rough. So Troy Weaver, I think, has checked all the boxes. Everybody that's come in has had a better season than before they arrived. So, I mean, yeah, you're in good hands with that guy making the decisions. I think it's hilarious how, like, Troy Weaver, just it, it, just everything that he was criticized for, his critics have looked kind of silly. The only thing you could argue was there was a movement for Tyrese Halliburton over Killian Hayes. And, I, I mean, in hindsight, you'd probably rather have Halliburton. But to me, that's an incomplete still. It's way too early. I mean, I, you know, who is it? Um, the uh, uh, forgetting the point guard from Syracuse that had like that really good rookie year. Michael Carter Williams. Thank you, Michael Carter Williams. I love having smart people on the show. Michael <laughs> Carter Williams was like a rookie of the year. It was blowing everyone's mind that first year. Everyone yeah. was like, this guy's a steal of the draft. And like he was kind of done a couple years mm -hmm. later. It's too soon. Hayes had an, uh, Killian Hayes had an injury. So let's pump the brakes. But he was crucified for the Isaiah Stewart thing. Mock. My, another center, a six foot eight center. It's looked great. 
Sadiq Bay didn't get as much heat, but people were like, okay, it's like a you know 22 year old. The guy can't jump from uh, Villanova. That's looked very good to me. I think I was on the first team all rookie team. Well, that's the thing. So Sadiq Bay, every team in the NBA wants a three point shooter, and he had the third most made threes of any rookie in NBA history, and it was in a shortened season. That guy can shoot threes. He can rebound. He's got a role on every roster. You get those guys outside the lottery, you love it. Isaiah Stewart, classic kind of energy big, right? Grit and grind kind of guy. But even he started shooting the threes a little bit before the end of the season. It's like, okay, I see how those guys fit on a deep playoff run kind of roster. Whether they're starters, contributors, they belong on a roster that's making a deep run in the postseason. And that's the key, right? I mean, if you're out of the lottery, the goal is to just get contributors. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you'd see the occasional star that gets taken in the high scenes, but that is outliers typically. I mean, you look at like the the NFL draft is called this big crapshoot, but in any given draft, the first round, usually you get like 15 to 20 players, maybe not stars, but like they're in the league for six, seven years, they're contributors. The NBA, it's not that high. It's it's like eight, maybe. So it's a bigger crapshoot. The fact that they got two guys like in the teens Mm -hmm. that look really good, that could be a part of a good roster is such a credit to him. I, I just, where do you stand on year one going forward? I hate to do like, yeah, I know you're a radio guy, like <laughs> the grade thing. Like we, you have oh, to give boy. like a grade to it, but just like, I mean, I assume you're a Pistons fan. Yeah, you're of course. Here. I know yeah. you're, you're a media guy. You're trying to be objective and all that, but you're not a beat writer. No. Like I was thrilled with every single thing they did. I don't have a, a qualm about anything. I can't remember being this happy with any GM <laughs> ever. I, I Like, am I, am I off the deep end and thinking Troy Weaver just hit an absolute home run in year one and has set us up for an incredible future going forward potentially? Well, well, yeah, and that's the thing. It's potentially, it's only one year. A lot's going to still have to, to break right for him, but I love the direction of we're going to be bad. And, and specifically at the end of the year where they're sitting six, seven, sometimes eight players. I was doing some of those Pistons broadcasts and I'd say, I, first, before we can even get into the matchup, I got to tell you who's not playing in the game today. And it wasn't a secret what was going on. Oh, so-and-so's got a, a bruise. He's got a boo-boo. He's not going to play tonight. And, 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 you know, some people would, would maybe get mad at that. But that's absolutely what was necessary for this team down the stretch. Yeah, early in the year, you want to get the young guys out there and, and hang tough and be in some of these games. At the end of the year, though, it was important they started stacking losses. And they weren't ashamed of doing it. And the result was the number one pick in the draft. And they, they shouldn't be ashamed. I think they navigated that fine line where, like, Philadelphia, when they were going through the yeah. same process, they were an affront to anybody that cares about basketball, which, by the way, I was not anti-process either. But, like, I understood people arguing, like, this is embarrassing. Like, they're not even trying. Yeah, trying, yeah. The Pistons, like, played their ass off every no, night. That, that, <laughs> it was an honest effort to get better. And when you have a coach like Dwayne Casey, like, that dude's never going to throw a basketball game. No. So what you had to do was sit his leading scorer and his second leading scorer and his third leading scorer and go, all right, you got to play the rookies tonight and see what happens. And those guys are hungry. They're going to play hard for every minute they're out there. Problem is the deck stacked against them. So you get the best of both worlds. You get those guys with big minutes, big moments, learning kind of on the fly, hands-on experience. And then at the end of the day, you look up at the scoreboard and go, that's another loss. Oh, that was the best thing. I can't recall how many times it, it was in the dozen right. where you would watch this team in the fourth quarter. They're diving for loose balls. Isaiah Stewart's doing chase down blocks and they <laughs> lose by six. It was just, it was the most enjoyable tanking season ever. And Troy Weaver nailed this thing and it was not an accident. This whole thing was very structured. They mm-hmm. didn't stumble into the strategy. They deserved 
that walk in the lottery, not just because it had been 51 years since they had cashed that number one overall pick, but because they deserved it for running things the right way. And, and look, there's nothing to that. It's just happened to be, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm glad that the team that ran something intelligently got it right uh, in the end and got the walk with the pick, which brings me to the pick. Yeah. I know where you stand on this. It's where I stand. You're on my toes with it, Frank. That's how close we are on this. This trade cade brigade, I call it. Uh, let's, let's hearken to your tweet from the other day. This is about two days ago, I think, now. Maybe yesterday. I don't know. These days I've sent a couple together. of them out. So. This, this, is, this is one of them. This is Jim Costa on Twitter. This is you. The cade trade debate is exhausting. And I think this is me. I hit a break on the station and was just like, all right, I got to send this tweet. 218 I- likes. I have friends that would like kill somebody for that, that type of engagement. <laughs> Here's the complete list of proven superstars that want to come to Detroit to build this up. And it's just blank. There's nobody. Yeah, right, which is the point. Oh, you want to trade for picks? You must be some kind of stupid to win the Mega Millions and then spend it all on more lottery tickets. 100% correct. Tell me why you land there. I, I know, you know, I agree. Tell me why you feel this way. Why is it stupid to even entertain this idea? Well, and I know some people, it's like this galaxy brain, like, well, you have to have an open mind. And they're like, for the sake of discussion, we should entertain a trade. There is no way, let me repeat, no way to get fair value for the number one pick because you're not a destination. So any player you get is going to be a tier two or tier three player. That guy's not going to sign long-term. You're, you're working with a short fuse. If you go get draft picks, as I put it so bluntly, you win the mega millions and then you're hoping all the picks you get back win the lottery in the future. And you said 51 years and you're right. 51 years since the last time they had the number one pick. I don't want to trade for second, third, fourth, fifth, or, or as Zach Lowe, who I respect, put out in a, tra- a trade, Wiseman, a 7th, and a 14th. So I get Andre Drummond 2.0, the 7th pick where the Pistons pick all the time, and 14, and I'm supposed to say thank you? This is like some galaxy brain idea. In NBA, you know, you look at it, you got superstar players. This isn't a build-through-the-depth kind of deal like in football. You got to get a super, superstar player. I think sometimes in, in this town, and I think probably most towns, we look at things through a football lens. And I remember when the Tigers used to be good, every game was a football Sunday, right? Like, oh, they blew it in the ninth inning and it's you know, under a microscope because football is very much every game is life and death. And I think that same football mindset was taking place with some of these people who want to trade the pick because Lions fans are conditioned. We have 55 needs on a 53-man roster, trade back and fill the needs. Yeah, the Pistons have a long way to go, but the chief need is get a guy with the ball who can change your franchise. And if I was sitting in a laboratory, I would say, give me a bigger guard, maybe like a point forward who can dribble, run the offense. And you know, in the NBA, you got to shoot. So shoot well and be able to create your own three. It's Cade Cunningham. I mean, that's who the player is. Maybe you wish he had a little more of an elite first step. If he did, we'd be talking about an all-time great, not just the number one pick. But I look at him and say, that's a guy who can be one of the 10 best players in the sport. He fits the way the NBA's played. You don't trade out of that pick. You take him, you try to build around him, you do everything you can to make him successful. Because if he's successful, your franchise is going to be successful. I agree with everything you said. I do think there is an interesting, not case, because I'm, I'm first sitting there, but there's an interesting buzz that is not uh, Joe shit the rag man from, from you know, wherever, yeah. Taylor, Michigan, saying we should trade the pick, but is actually legitimately sourced. And I want to get your opinion on this. Are we sure? Okay, we settled. 
Pistons are dumb to trade it. It's been 51 years. Yeah. I agree. You agree. We're done. They're not trading it. They're staying there. I think they should. I think they will. We are not sure, because I trust the people saying it, that Cade's the guy at number one. Mm. Because, I mean, we pulled a couple of them. We're not going to put them up, but just, I mean, Adrian Wojnarowski, ever heard of him? I mean, pretty credible guy. He gets everything right. He said that he talked to Troy Weaver, and Weaver is adamant that they're looking if they won the first overall pick, which they did at four different guys. That's a very, that's the most credible reporter in, in the world for basketball. Locally, James L. Edwards III, good friend of mine, good Spartan, been on the show a few times. He said Troy Weaver is not decided and will get up to five guys, probably four, but up to five guys. James L. Edwards, I mean, I'm sure he's been wrong about something, but not since I've been paying attention. That guy is sourced. I think he's getting this stuff like directly from Weaver and not smokescreen type stuff. You have the first pick. Like, you don't need to smokescreen. I'm curious where you land on this. Two credible reports saying that Cade is not a shoo-in. Do you think that there is any question that Cade is the number one guy on your board and your mind and also in Troy Weaver's mind, which is what matters, of course? Well, and I guess here's the biggest thing is I'm not a basketball exec. I'm not a scout. Um, I think he's the best player in the draft. I think that's the consensus, too, by the way. So I can kind of lean on not just me being the be-all, end-all. Most people think Cade's the best player in this draft. I'm fine if Troy wants to do his due diligence, bring in three or four guys, interview them, work them out, make sure they didn't miss anything. But I actually would lose some respect for him if they passed up on the presumptive, no doubt, number one pick in the draft to go with, I mean, who, who's, who's your guy in that group of the next guys? Is it Jalen Green, who's a scoring machine? He played 15 games in the G League. Maybe he's a better scorer than Kate. He's not a better passer. He's not a better defender. He's not a better rebounder. You want Mobley, bigger guy, can shoot a little bit, but again, doesn't give you that ball dominator who changes the possession in crunch time. Uh, Maybe like Suggs. But at that point, I'm getting a shorter, worse shooting point guard. And he's tenacious. I really like him. If the Pistons were picking three or four, I'd be talking myself into Jalen Suggs. But you shouldn't have to talk yourself into the pick when you have number one. You just, you take the guy that everybody tells you is the best player. Do your homework, fine, but... If he passed on him, I actually, for as much praise as we've heaped on Troy Weaver, I would lose some respect for him. I would pause on the uh, subtraction of respect. No, you Until subtract I, respect. <laughs> yeah, you, you can do whatever you want. I would, I would pause. I didn't say I wouldn't. I said I would pause because the guy got mocked for everything, and he's, he's come up aces I, again and again and again. I, look, the only one to me, and I like Suggs too, but I agree, like yeah. third or fourth. Or, I, I haven't seen Jalen Green play, but there's people that I respect that know what they're talking about that think he's going to be like a 30-point-per-game, just absolute machine offensively. And look, I think Cunningham's a better all-around player. I want Cunningham. I agree with you. I could understand that, but you said exactly what I was thinking about Suggs. It's like I, I feel like I'm getting a worse version of Cunningham. I think they'll both be very good. Sure. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think Toronto's going to be very happy with with Suggs. Yeah, I mean, they, they need a point guard. Yeah, I, I'm happy. Here's here's kind of where I settle on this. Kate Cunningham is the best prospect in the draft. We agree there. Yeah. But I have to acknowledge that Troy Weaver is a wild card. This is a guy who does not care what anybody else thinks. And he usually does think not only does he not care what other people think, he usually thinks differently from the pack. We, the guy hasn't even been here 12 months, and we've listed myriad examples where everyone disagreed with him. Everyone hated the Jeremy Grant signing. Everybody but me and James Edwards III <laughs> thought Isaiah Stewart was a dumb pick. We were the only two people defending it on Twitter at the time. Hey, look, so 
the consensus is you're right. Cade Cunningham is the best. My uninformed, unexpert opinion is in line with that. Sure. But you have to acknowledge that this guy has not done anything by the books yet. The, the, the next thing he does that matches everyone else's plan will be the first. Short timeline, but the sample size so far, he's like seven for seven and bucking what everyone thinks he should do or what's wise. Is there any validity to that? Just saying, look, we don't know what the, f- the guy's going to do. Well, I, so I like what I liked about it when they hired him. And you know, it's easy to say that now because we're, we're pretty pleased with him. But what I liked was, all right, you're in Oklahoma City. You're not a free agent destination. You have to just draft better than everybody else. And he, he got a lot of credit for the scouting and the selection of James Harden and Russell Westbrook, two elite combo guards. The Pistons need that guy. I mean, no matter how you slice it, it's positionless basketball. Someone with the ball who can create his own shot. If he looks at this draft, I would hope he sees Cade Cunningham as that guy. But that's the biggest need for this team. So. If he goes a different direction, I think he's he's going to have to answer for the critics if it doesn't work out. That's the other thing, right? They always say right, in football, if you pass up on a quarterback and that guy, you know, plays well, you are ultimately going to be judged not by the guys you pick, but by the guys you don't pick. So it's a big gamble to go away from Cade Cunningham. I agree. That's a huge risk. I just don't think the guy cares. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's fine. Like, and he shouldn't. He, he really does to, not To be care. clear, he shouldn't care what anybody puts on their mock draft on the internet. If you have a guy running a team that way, you're you're in for a really rough time. Well, they, okay, I agree that he shouldn't care. And I just said, I don't think he does. Yeah. I think it's human nature right. for 99% of people to give a fuck what people say about yeah. him. They're very sensitive. Tom Gore is, is, you know, embarrassed uh, on an annual basis with what people are saying. And that guy is out to lunch half the time, doesn't even know what's going on. And even he has some shame about what's happened. So I, I, I do think we have that one in a hundred guy where, look, I, it would not shock me. It would shock me if it were anybody else pick, making the pick. Troy Weaver can't surprise me at this point. I mean, short of uh, them taking like Aaron Henry first overall, I, I, I can't see myself being surprised by anything. But I do think that Cade Cunningham is eventually the guy. I just think if anybody in the NBA was going to surprise us in this spot, it would be Troy Weaver. So I don't know. We'll transition to this. I, I'm happy with where the Pistons are at. Yeah. I've been the biggest Troy Weaver fan. I've been banging that drum so loud. They're hearing me in OKC where they cast him <laughs> aside. Uh, they should, he should have been the GM in that town. But neither here nor there. Let's transition to this. The Detroit Tigers rebuild. Another thing that seems to be on the upswing potentially, yeah. I'm curious where you are on this. And because you're here and because I love you and you have one of the better Twitter feeds in town, I'm going to use another Jim Costa oh tweet to set the table for the Detroit Tigers. So let's go to the Jim Costa Twitter feed again. This was just a day oh or boy. so ago. Quote, the Tigers could not, sign. Not 200 likes on that one. Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> it, it's probably actually even more a uh, prescient point. The Tigers could sign two Carlos Correas and not have a top 10 payroll, even counting Miguel Cabrera. The fan base should demand it, demand it, meaning the signing of Carlos Correa, whom you had called for in a tweet. I said, I said he was making himself at home this weekend at Comerica Park, learning yes. some of the, I hope he was getting to know some of the ushers, some of the grounds crew. Yeah. Fitting. He's, he's getting very comfortable in his, what's hopefully his new digs. It's funny. So I'm, you're with me. You want to see him in a Tigers well, uniform. I, him or Corey Seager or Trevor Story. Or, I mean, you got to It's get, a big shortstop prop. It, it could be as many as four legitimate big time shortstops. I, I, and they don't have a shortstop of the future. I'm not big on Baez, but the other, I, I love Seager, Story, and Correa. It's, 
Do I love that Correa is having like by far his best year in a contract year? And he's been like <laughs> and, hurt. And whoever constantly. pays him is going to pay a premium for yeah, him. I, yeah, it bugs me a little bit. But I mean, as opposed to what? Like Willie Castro fumbling the ball every every other you know hit ball hit to him. It's like come on, this is a no brainer. Like here's I've talked about this ad nauseum. Here's what you let's just stick to Correa because you could talk about all the scenarios yeah, and all yeah, different yeah. situations. But let's let's keep it to Correa, who was the focus of your tweet, and I think is one of the favorites in the fan base to come here. You have to put it in context of what he turned down. Carlos Correa turned down from Houston an extension for five years, $125 million. Not Manny Machado money, but still half a decade long term. He's been hurt constantly. He turned it down mm-hmm. before this big year, by the way. Before this big year that he had. Himself. With all these injuries and his production was down. In that context, he turned down five years, $25 million a year. The context has changed a little bit, assuming this season continues as it has. He has been one of the best players in all baseball in the first half of the season. So if if my stock is lower, my stock is depressed, Carlos Correa turned down that money. What is he looking for now? It was not good enough to get the deal done a, f- a few months back in Houston, a state, by the way, with no state income tax. Mm-hmm. So on a $125 million deal, that's already a couple million dollars uh, that he'll keep that he wouldn't keep in a place like Detroit that does have state income tax. It's going to cost the Tigers huge money to get him or Corey Seager. We all want it. I think we all deserve it at this point. But will we get it? In your opinion, will Chris Hill pony up the dough? I know. I think you've been ragging on this. I think it's a lot of fans are are wondering, is Chris Hill going to spend the money? And what I would I put in the tweet, you should demand it. Because after, I don't know, however you count it, four or five years, where they've essentially gone super lean, let the bigger contracts run out, signed one and two year deals. Like Robbie Grossman getting a two year deal, I think was the first they had signed since 2016, a multi year deal. So they've gone really lean. And I don't actually blame Chris Illich for that. If you're trying to lose baseball games and land number one picks and overhaul a farm system, I don't think it behooves you to spend mega dollars on your baseball team. But now when Casey Mize is up in the bigs and he's dazzling, when Tarek Skubal, we just saw what he did against the hottest offense in all of baseball, one hit, nine strikeouts, 21 swings and misses, those two guys look like the real deal. And we'll see about some of these hitters in double A. But it's very clear that there are legs to this read. It's very clear that you need kind of a shot in the arm to keep it going. And the last team in Detroit that went from a bottom feeder to a championship contender wasn't the Lions, wasn't the Pistons, wasn't the Red Wings. It was the Detroit Tigers, and it was through big, maybe reckless free agent spending on guys like Pudge Rodriguez, on Maglio Ordonez, on Carlos Guillen. And at the time, that made no sense. You're a bad baseball team, but they were critical building blocks. So I think it's, it's something the fan base should demand going into the winter meetings this year is Carlos Correa being too expensive. I suppose there is a point where they get ridiculous, some of these baseball contracts, but the point I made is their payroll is so depressed right now, they could make a dumb signing. Cabrera's deal will be off in a couple of years, and they'd be no worse off than they are right now. They could give Correa $30 million for eight seasons. And that might seem dumb to some people, but in two years, Mickey's off the books, and you're still in this spot where you, you have a, a bottom half of the baseball world payroll. So it's not just should they sign Carlos Correa. It's which corner outfielder should they pay in the next two years. It's which key starting pitcher should they go out and pay? Like all of these guys, you should be paying for all of these guys to to 
reboot this baseball team. Clearly, you're going to do it with homegrown talent, but you're not winning with that alone. You got to keep up with the Joneses in baseball. And the reason why I love Carlos Correa, because we're singling him out, similarities with Pudge. Familiarity with a manager who had won a World Series, plays a critical defensive position of which you have nobody else that can, can also provide offense and hit near the middle of your order. I mean, provides an attitude, a charisma, a swagger. That is Pudge 2.0. Now, there's no guarantees, but I feel like there's a lot of, there's a strong argument that Correa should be the number one target. And there's really no excuse financially not to get it done. And it's funny because, like, people look back now and the, the Pudge thing is just so, what an obviously great move. At the time, there was a reason why he came here. And it was not just because the Tigers paid up. He had a very legitimate lumbar back issue, Pudge Rodriguez did. So bad that even the shitty Tigers, who were terrible, the worst team ever, had a huge out in that contract where they could get out entirely if he had any type of back ailment that cost him the season. So, I mean, even that, is, it's celebrated now, and it, rightfully so, and was celebrated in hindsight. Even that was not a no-brainer. This is a no-brainer to go get one of these guys, Story, Correa. You know, so I, I wonder if Seager will hit the open market. I know now we're doing winter meetings talk six months early but i what wonder else do we have i know well i wonder if if the dodgers who are made of money are going to let seager go i'm a little concerned with story some of the ho- home road no, uh numbers Splits. when it's you concerning. go from, when you go from coors to comerica i don't know that there's much more of a dramatic jump so i just continue to put all the eggs in i wouldn't be disappointed if they went out and spent big money on a shortstop but there's a clear number one. Oh, that's fair i i see i don't love Baez, so i i you know seager to me is number one correa and then I mean, Story was my number three until I saw how bad those splits were. The guy's basically like Willie Castro on on the road. Well, it was one of those things where I was like, that was my perception. Yeah. And I was like, that can't, I'm going to look it up before before I bring this up. And then it really is. It really is. Yeah. I mean, people always said like Todd Helton's a product, of course. And you look at like his road splits, like, oh, the guy had a thousand OPS on the road too. (laughs) He was great everywhere. Right. But uh, no, in Trevor Story's case, like the guy's got like a, I mean, don't quote me on the exact number. It's like a 750 OPS on the road. I mean, he's okay. Right. He can can play. Yeah. (laughs) You don't want to pay him $30 million a year to hit that shit. So I don't know. I, I set the bar with Chris Castellani at this when he was on. Chris Kesselani of Barstool Sports. That feels cool to say. I said that my bar for this offseason, for me to be anything remotely resembling content, was one of those aforementioned shortstop, mm-hmm. Justin Verlander coming home. Which, and by the way, sounds like could happen. I, I think it's inevitable. Tony Paul and I have been talking about it for two years. Oh, I think it's going to happen, too. I'm with the, you guys. The Tigers, the Tigers think, and I, I reported this two years ago, the Tigers think that it's going to happen. I, I don't know. I, he went out and won his World Series. He loves the organization. Yep. It makes all the sense in the world for him to come back and kind of be that veteran mentor for a younger yeah. team. Yeah, and I think he could still be really good. If anybody can come back at 38 from Tommy John, the guy's just such a specimen and such a workout freak. And if anybody can do it, I mean, it's not a good track record of these guys. It's like 14 guys have had it past 36. Only R.A. Dickey ended up being really good, and he was throwing knuckleballs, knuckle right? Knuckleballs, yeah. Okay, so, so you're, you're offseason. You got Correa, you, you said, or well, Correa, Correa. Well, Correa, shortstop, Verlander, and what else? And a sort of middle class, the example I used, you know, and this he's not a free agent because he signed a two-year but like a Carlos Santana to the Royals sure. where it's like two years, 60 million, where it's like they spend that on either a pitcher or a corner outfielder or whatever. Corner outfielder, like, probably something they could use. Yeah. Something like middle class. I'm not talking a $20 million guy. I'm talking like a seven, eight, nine million dollar solid plug that'll be an upgrade. Anything less than that, fuck off. 
Like, I, I like seriously, even if they just sign, we would all love Justin Verlander coming back. I think he will. I think it's inevitable. If they sign Verlander, even if it's for big money coming off the injury and like another decent guy, go fuck yourself. It's not enough because we've waited long enough. I'm curious where you land on this. Am I being unreasonable to say, give me that or more or you can go to hell? Because we have waited a long time for this. Well, you stomach years and years of losing, right? And the promise was we will make up for it. We will make up for it. We will spend accordingly. When the time is right. When the time is right. And I heard it was Al Avila right before the season. And I forget which local TV guy he was talking to. It might have been Brad Galley. Uh, and he said, well, once the young pitching turns a corner, then we'll know we can spend. Are you watching the same team I'm Ta-da. watching? Ta-da. Now, I know Manning wasn't great tonight. He's got to start throwing more than fastballs. But Scooble and Mize are the real deal. So, And you're going to draft Jack Leiter in like a week. So I mean, even better. It's going to keep getting better and better. They're going to add somebody else really good. Look, I, I just but. I mean, short answer. Am I being unfair? No. Listen, that, I, that's a fair bar. I, I'm ready. And listen, I, I haven't been putting Chris's feet to the fire yet. But this winter, the feet will go to the fire if he doesn't answer the, the bell, if he doesn't step up as the owner of this baseball team and give the fans a reason to believe that they're not just middling through a rebuild, but they're legitimately building a World Series contender. It would change the entire context of the past five years if he makes good on that promise. Yeah. If he makes good on that promise and spends... $30 million on an eight-year deal for Correa, $30 million a year on Correa, and brings Verlander back and then plugs another hole or two with a good, solid player that's out there. Everything that happened the last four or five years falls into a different context for me because you said, oh, I don't blame Chris Illich. You know, one-year deals, it was the right move if you're trying to bottom out and build a team. All true, unless that was just bullshit you were feeding. That part is only defensible. If, if you on deliver. the back end you complete the circle and and make good on it, I, I just if they don't and th- no more next year, no more two years. Oh, you know when the time's right. Shit, time's now. This is it. I'm glad you agree because you're a smart guy. If you disagreed, I'd feel less strong about my opinion. <laughs> it's time. Enough's enough. I mean, it's just I, you agree that it is time. You agree that they should. Gun to your head. Are they actually going to do it? Because I still mm. am. I, I we obviously agree they should. I. Chris Illich made Listen, big promises about the District of Detroit. That's a big parking lot. Do you think they actually will? Because I can't confidently say yes. I think I should answer no, if that makes any sense. And by the way, I think it's super easy for all of us to say, like, yes, they should spend money. They should make the baseball team better. So that's an easy take to give. I don't think we're being courageous in that. Um, but will they actually do it? I mean, he's not Mike Illich. If this was Mike Illich, I think we'd all feel confident. He's Chris Illich. He's a different person. So I'm skeptical. Now, Mike Illich was Chris Illich for about 15 years. That's a good point. People forget that. That's the one thing I'll say. No, fathers are not their sons. I mean, my my dad's a much greater man than I am. But, (laughs) um, you know, everyone's like, oh, Mike Illich, big reckless spinner. The guy had song. Greg Henson was playing parodies about calling the pizza man about what a cheapskate he was that he did a complete 180. Like, Look, you can say, oh, it's always nice to say, it's easy for the fans to say, yeah, spend, spend, spend. No, I defended them not doing jack all for the first three years of this rebuild. I thought it was very defensible not to. Why spend the money? Bottom out, I was actually ready. I said it in 2016 before they started the rebuild, like, I'm ready. I felt exactly how I did right around 08 or 09 with the Pistons where it's like, okay, like this isn't working. Stop making the second or third round with no chance to do anything more. Just start over. 
So I, I don't buy that. Oh, it's easy for us fans to say. Of course, you're gonna always. No, but I mean, I'm just I'm just curious who the fan is that's like actually now's not the time to spend. Well, you know what I mean? I just like, well <laughs> for this offseason, yeah, but it was defend. But I thought they probably should have spent this past offseason. But the three prior, I was the one. You were saying, saying now is not the right time. To yeah. Spend. Okay. I, fair. The, the only thing I was arguing, and I've, I've maintained that, is the international market. I'm so tired of. Yoan Moncada, and, and you know, uh, he's bottomed out since, but Yasiel Puig had a great five years. Like, this, the fact that this team does nothing in the international market drives me nuts. But other than that, I wanted them to bottom out, and they did. I was fine with that, but they have to make good on it. It's now or never. If, if they don't do it now, I don't think it's ever going to happen. And I, by the way, am I saying I'm 100% sure? No. I'm like 80% that he's still not going to make us happy with the level of spending. Verlander's probably coming back. That's the nice package he can sell. Look what I've done. I don't buy that we're getting that one of those shortstops, and I think it'll be unforgivable. That's just where I stand. Chris Castellani, the aforementioned man of Barstool Sports, and I had this great conversation yesterday about the Tigers. We were going back and forth. He has not lost my number since his promotion of the big leagues of Barstool Sports. He still talks to me, believe it or not. He told me, this is a direct quote, if this pitching stays healthy, this Tigers team is two bats away from being a 90-plus win playoff contender. His basic takeaway, he said it publicly, he said it in our conversation, is this team is a lot closer than any of us thought that this team is that aforementioned Chris Illich's big spend away, not adding six guys, two guys away from not winning the World Series, but being in the playoffs, being in the mix, being one of the best six, seven teams in baseball, basically. Do you agree with what Chris Castellani says? Are they that close? Is this is this Barry Bonds? And, like, who are the two bats? Right. I mean, because that matters. Because there's Correa. a lot of there's a lot. Well, maybe Cray is one of them. Because there's a lot of games where it's it's painful when they don't hit. It exposes all the other flaws. Because there are other flaws. They're not just two bats away. Defense is dreadful. The bullpen's got three guys. I think you count on three and a half, maybe depending on what you think of Kyle Funkhauser. But it's Cisnero, it's Soto, and it's Fulmer when he's healthy. Three guys is not a bullpen. And as far as a rotation goes, I'm not sold on Matthew Boyd. I'm not sold even on Turnbull, to be honest with you. The last full year that he played, much like Boyd, when the weather warmed up, the ERA lifted as well. So I like Scooble. I like Mize. Let's say Verlander's the third arm in there. Again, that, that's not enough to be. And maybe your point is a 90-win team. I still don't know if that's a 90-win team. I don't know. I, I, I think I would put it at like more like, Three pieces away, sure. Two bats and like an arm or something. Like I just I look. Well, at then the other question is 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 Torkelson and Green and Dingler. If all three of those guys are the real deal, then it lowers the burden for how much you have to spend yeah. or how much you have to add. And that's really at the center of all this is, you know, maybe some people are softening on Alavila now, but the reality is he's had four or five years to jumpstart this. And if they had done a much better job, there's 40 rounds in the baseball draft. If they had done a better job outside of round one, you'd have more of this depth. You'd have more of these guys ready. There wouldn't be, like, if Chris Illich is upset at all at what the price tag is going to be, Al Avila's the guy that, that puts that burden on him. So if Dingler's real and you have a catcher, that's phenomenal. If Riley Green's the center fielder of the future and Torkelson's this corner infielder bat, okay, I could buy there's a lower burden for them to get where they need to go. Great point. You can talk about softening on Al Avila. I don't know who you're talking to. But it wasn't me because I all that guy has done is sit there and say, oh, look, who's the top-rated guy in Baseball America? <laughs> oh, Torkelson. Oh, Riley Green, who was also the highest-rated guy when they picked him at fifth. Like, 
they've done nothing but pick the top guy on everyone's board with their first round pick for like six years. So no, I'm sorry. I don't give him credit when he gets Mike Piazza in the 36th round or something, then great. But we haven't seen that. They've done jack all outside of a Tariq Skubal, I guess. I mean, that's, a you know, remains to be seen. Right. He still hasn't looked good last night, but I mean, still got a ways to go. Um, anyway, I have not softened on Alvio at all. We've put our time in with this thing. Yeah. Uh, enough's enough. And uh, we'll finish here with the Justin Verlander thing. I'm putting it at 90% that he's back. Is that fair? Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, when the quotes, most recent quotes came out, um, you know, I was doing a show. It would have been Friday or Saturday, Saturday, I think. I threw it out to the audience. Like, do you want this guy back? And I mean, some of it's an emotional pull of fairy tale ending. Could he come back and be on the, the very tail end of his career as this team is in a World Series and it all comes together? That's the fairy tale version. But even the more practical version is the guy's a really good pitcher. And this young rotation could use a stable, steady veteran. And I think he wants to be back. His quotes, for people who haven't seen him, he says, yeah, I still think about it. He still thinks about coming back. I think Ben Verlander has also talked about how you know he could see it happening with Justin. And Justin knows A.J. Hinch, another wrinkle to all this, because they won the World Series together. And Justin texted A.J. when he got the job, talking about, hey, you're going to love Detroit. There's enough dots that, yeah, I'd go, you can't go 100%. So, you're, yeah, we'll go 90% together. That worked. I, I'm at 90, which is very high. So I, I, it's great. but. Chris Illich is not off the hook with that shit, okay, for the record. I want, I want Carlos Correa or Corey Seager or one of those guys. Like, enough's enough. That's it. Mm-hmm. So just I've made it very clear. I, you don't, you don't want to watch the show. Maybe you do. If they come out of this offseason, <laughs> just, just with Justin Verlander and, you know, some corner, fat corner outfielder like Robbie Grossman or something. Seriously, the de- the desk is getting flipped, it's, and it's going to be emotion. I wouldn't know, like blame it, you. It's going to be genuine emotion. It's not going to be like all these hacks on Twitter that are like fake, having meltdowns. Like it'll be a legitimate meltdown because enough's enough. That's where I'm at. So I want to talk about this a little bit. We're good on time, I think. You know, you're not doing the Mike Sullivan looking looking at your, your watch. <laughs> so <laughs> I, mean, I, I love Sully, but yeah. Hey uh, Spiro, I got 28 minutes like right before we go live. Sully's a great guy, but man, that was a quick one. I'm not putting you to bind. I want to hit a little bit sure. on the Lions. Oh just, please, just 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 a tad, and we'll get to him a little bit in the speed round as well. Cool. But specifically with Jared Goff, <laughs> this is something I have asked Dave Burkett. I've asked Justin Rogers. I've asked Kyle Mikey. I've asked my friends at the Water Cooler. Everyone's got a different take on this. I go to Jared Goff, what I see with this organization, we've played the clips in the past where they introduced Jared Goff, the Lions Twitter's throwing it out there, and he's being greeted in the hallways like he is a, a liberator from their shackles. It's, they're giving them bear hugs. Man, we got you. You're in the house, Jared Goff. Yeah, we love you, Jared. Like, to me, I do not buy this, this takeaway, this narrative, to use a cliche that Jared Goff is just a bridge quarterback in the mind of Brad Holmes, whose mind is by far the most important in this process. Whatever you think of Jared Goff, we can get to that in a minute. But Brad Holmes' mind, jump into his brain, because everyone, this is like 50-50 on the people I've talked to. I think that Brad Holmes thinks that Jared Goff is, has gotten a bad rap, is legitimately a lot better than what he's shown the prior two years, and that can. He's a guy that can get back to that all-pro level. A lot of people think Nick Baumgartner, I just talked about it with him the other day. 
he thinks Goff's just you know holding it down until they move on. Where do you land on Jared Goff and Brad Holmes's mind? Okay, because I think just me, he is a bridge quarterback. But Holmes has come out and said he doesn't view him that way. And now, how much of that is what you have to say, and how much of it is what he actually believes? And I think as someone who pounded the table to trade up and get him when he was in LA running the draft and and doing all the scouting, he likes Jared Goff. When Goff arrived into town. He didn't have to restructure his contract, but in doing so, anchors him for two years. Do I think Brad Holmes would like Jared Goff to be successful? Yeah, because it makes his job a whole hell of a lot easier. Then you don't need to go through the draft and, and have your name tied to a college quarterback. And your whole job is going to be, did you get that pick right? Instead, you can say, I already got my guy. Now, there's a bunch of problems with that. One, he's not a great quarterback and he's paid like one. $30 million. I think that trade was as much about you know, him maybe wanting to get Goff back as LA saying, it's untenable for us to have Jared Goff's contract as a game manager. And, and when you talk to Lions fans who believe in Goff, they often sell you that like he's going to revitalize his career as a game manager, right? They're going to run the ball, play defense, short throws, timing routes, game managing, right? Would you pay a guy $30 million to be a game manager? Or is that a bridge? Because he's a bridge. And if you're concerned at all, because I think the natural follow-up is, well, if Holmes likes him, will he be beholden? Will he do too much to make him the quarterback long-term? I think it's going to play out on the field. And that's why I'm not concerned about being a Lions fan who has to watch Jared Goff for more than a year or two at most. He is one of the 10 worst starters, and he's going to play on one of the worst teams. I mean... You tell me how that's going to play out on Sundays because I have a feeling of how it's going to play out. Well, and, and, and it's crazy to me because you got to say it with a straight face because you're already grinning. Are the Lions the place you go to revitalize your career? No. Because you're, you're doing a lot of selling if you're somebody out there who goes, this is where Goff remakes his, himself. He's throwing to Larry Moe and Curly. And, and, and no, seriously. So, so you tell me how he's going to have a big season this year. You tell me how he's going to justify his salary and tell them you don't have to draft a quarterback because I see the season ending with the Lions with a losing record, not a hot take, with Goff not being a, a rousing success and a host of options available in the draft. I mean, that, that's the collision course we're headed for. So that's what you think. Sure. You, but, and you've acknowledged what Brad Holmes has said. Sure. But at the end of the day, what does Brad Holmes think? Because that's the question. Because that's he, what really he, matters. He thinks Jared Goff could revitalize his career in Detroit. So, so not a bridge. He doesn't think he's a bridge. Yeah, I believe that I he doesn't think he's a bridge. I think he views him as someone who they can get right, quote unquote, get right. I think the problem is he doesn't have a rocket arm. He's not super mobile. He's not going to command a huddle. He doesn't have a bunch of mismatch receivers. And his head coach is not a strategic X's and O's guy. He's a motivator. So they're not going to have some otherworldly scheme that's going to make him play above his talent level. His talent level is mediocre, and he's going to play on a mediocre football team. So he's not going to justify himself as the quarterback of the future. You can go in just because you want something doesn't mean it's going to happen. Detroit fans know that well enough. Just because you want him to be the quarterback of the future doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. I, I'm going to mark down the date and the time that someone was more cynical about the Lions on this show than me. Because it, <laughs> it, it, it took. It By took the way, I'm not anti Holmes or or anti Campbell. I want to give them the clear runway to do this the right way. Oh. And I think the the draft was the good start. They yes. didn't rush to fix this immediately in one off season. They didn't spend big or draft a shiny object. They know it's going to be a couple of years. And the genius part of the golf restructure is. 
You get him to help transition a future quarterback if you go that route. There's no pressure to take a quarterback last year or to start a QB immediately. You get the benefit of building up a roster around him so that he can be successful, whomever that quarterback is, which is a really mature, not a knee-jerk kind of way to build a football team. Well, I mean, let's, let's not get it twisted. This is not a referendum on Dan Camp or Brad Holmes at all, the fact that Jared Goff is standing here in Detroit, because that trade would have been a no-brainer if Goff wasn't even part of it. Right. It was, it was necessary in terms of making the salary To get match. it done. But people forget. Everyone always forgets. I remember what people say in real time, because I have a, just a fantastic memory. Oh, there you go. People, there was an actual, and I, and I think you'll echo this, there was an actual debate whether Matt Stafford would even command a single first-round draft pick. Adam Badoon, my friend over at Woodward Sports, was like, I don't think he'll even get a first-round pick. I'm like, come on, he's going to get at least one first-round pick. Take golf out of it. Shoot him to Mars. I don't care. They got two first-round picks, yep. and nobody even talks oh, yeah. about the third-round pick, which is like a real chip. That was a hell of a trade. It was a really good move. It was a great trade no matter what happens with golf. but I've said repeatedly on this show, and thank you for being the living embodiment of it, poor Jared Goff. I think the guy gets a bad rap. You think he's one of the worst stars in the league. Chris Sims, whom I respect. who's 31st. Yeah, thanks. See, you're smart. You know this shit. You, you came prepared. 31st? Here's what I'll say for Jared Get him Goff. 24th the year before. Yes, yes, he's throwing the Hansel and Gretel or Larry Moe and Curly, whatever you said. He's got no receivers. Okay, we all know that. Okay, given. I don't know if you're a pro football focus guy. Yeah. Have you seen Jared Goff's numbers? Here's the argument for oh, him boy, here we being go. okay. They just calm down. No, no, tell me. I want to hear this. I don't know. What, what is the pro football? What, where does they he excel? Have, they have, I'm going to speak, Jim. Calm down. Wait, give me, let me make the argument. I'm waiting with Because I know you're, you're ready. You're ready to go. Just, just let me make the argument. Jim Costa needs to hear this because you are the biggest cynic. You're the one spinning this at Jared Goff's just a train wreck. There is one contact in which Jared Goff is exceptional by any objective measure, pro football focus, not perfect, but all the guys they say are good are good. All the guys they say suck end up cut. There's something to their analysis. Right. Jared Goff is one of the best five or six quarterbacks on the planet when he has time to throw. That's adjusted. Obviously, everyone's better when they have time to throw. Right. Adjusted. Even among, all, yes. Yeah. All relative, one of the five best quarterbacks walking the earth when he has time. He's one of the worst on the planet when he doesn't have time. This team, whether they end up being good or not, has dumped the Brinks truck of assets into the offensive line, the Brinks truck of assets and draft capital and free agency, whatever, in their running back room. If there's any guy in the league that should, in theory, have time to throw, it may be throwing to Hansel and Gretel, it, it, it's Jared Goff. He has been objectively not a small sample size, like a six-year sample size at this point, has been exceptional in that context. I think that is the argument where, he could be. I'm not saying he's great. No, and I know Stafford's better. Right. Obviously, there's a reason why those picks came along. Yeah. But I just think he gets a bad rap. I could see him surprising people like you that think he's. So, just so what you're describing is, um, and I've also seen he's he's not bad when play action, play action throws. Right, he was really good in L. A. when they had the run game going. What you're describing is ideal conditions. He can be a really good quarterback. Right. Ideal right? conditions specifically related to time in the pocket. Sure, the guy sure, sucks. Sure. He, 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 is, he is scared to death if he faces but, but pressure. So one of the things that's going to work against him, and I know we, we look at this O-line and think this is a really stout group. Things make your life difficult as an offensive lineman, like when you're trailing in games and teams are pinning their ears back. Your run game isn't nearly as ferocious when you're trailing in games. This defense is going to have them trail. They're not 
they're not favored in a single game this upcoming season. They're going to trail in quite a few football games. So, yeah, sure. If Jared Goff was playing for a really well-run organization and everything was like, check the tire pressure, you know, gas in the car before you leave. Yeah, yeah, he could go out there and do the job. And he went to a Super Bowl in a similar situation. Um, but you really have to have all your ducks in a row for Jared Goff to be that guy. And at that point, LA committed a lot of money to him and they realized it's really hard to, to get all our ducks in a row when we're paying this guy $30 million to be our quarterback. He's definitely overpaid. I, sure. I agree with that. Sure. Yeah. So, so I just want to know the scenario where he's not a bridge quarterback. And in two years, they go to him and go, you need to take less money. You know, a lot of athletes, starting quarterbacks in football that are like, you know what? You're right. I sh- I'll take less money to stay and be the quarterback of the team. I just don't see Especially it Especially when it's the Detroit Lions. I mean, yeah, they're, they're not getting a lot of home time. So again, there game. might be the best of intentions from Brad Holmes, but I think we know how the story so is. So you're, you're totally out on golf. I mean, look, far be it for me to say, how dare you question the, <laughs> the, the impending success of the Detroit Lions? I mean, I, I don't know if you know who you're talking to. I'm like no. the biggest No, and I, and I know like, that. I get, I get it. I, I just, I think, look, it's not an argument saying Goff is a top five quarterback or will be a top five quarterback. He's obviously not. That'd be ridiculous. Nobody's saying that. I can already see the assholes on Twitter, you know, saying that I said he's a top five quarterback. Everyone's, everyone's right. a jerk. Not saying that. I'm just saying this. He's a bottom five quarterback in the league. I, I, I said bottom 10. Well, no, you said bottom 10. I've, oh, I've, some people. Chris yeah, Sims, Sims has him bottom Chris two. Chris Sims has him bottom two. Yeah. I, like some of the guys he had in front of him haven't even played yet. I mean, I, I'm, I think he had Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, both of them. Taysom Hill's like eight <laughs> spots higher. It's not like he just eked out. A, a, I think he had a, like six, seven, eight spots higher. Yeah. Preposterous. I'm sorry. Give me Jared Goff any day over Taysom Hill, but whatever. I digress. I, I think he's gotten a bad rap. We'll get into Lions a little bit more with the speed round, but we'll finish it there. I know you've watched every single episode we've done. You're Religiously. A, you're a big fan. You never miss an episode. No. You're a big fan of the speed <laughs> round. Let's get to it. Everyone knows the rules. Let's get to speed round. I went a little longer today, Jim. Normally we do like five or six. I, I, I gave you a little more meat on this bone. Okay. Let's start here with the Tigers. We talked a lot of Tigers, but we didn't talk about this individual. A guy that I may have gotten it wrong about. I was saying this guy's going to collapse. Just wait, just wait, just wait. Guy's still hitting. Guy's still taking walks now. It's, it's incredible. Akil Badu, one-year wonder or a future cog in this rebuild? I'm going to go future cog because I, I actually think they're putting him in a role I think he can be successful in, this leadoff role. He sees a ton of pitches. He has the highest on-base percentage on the team. By the way, this is the first year – He's in the bigs. It's also the first year he's above high A ball. So I think some of that stuff is just innate. So I see him as a guy who can be a table setter, can be at the top of the order, second on the team in stolen bases too. I know that's not really part of baseball anymore, but he checks a lot of boxes as a leadoff hitter. So I can say future cog because I see a role for him. Yeah, I agree. I like him a lot. I, I think I got it wrong. I said, just wait, the the, the bottom's going to fall Chris Shelton 2.0. Well, it it kind of did. The guy didn't get a hit in May and he came back in June and started hitting again. Yeah, anyway. like two, almost two months without a home run. So you've been at 97 won the ticket for a minute. Not that long, but for a minute. Let's go personal. Oh, boy. Nicest guy at 97 won the ticket. So I've worked with most of the people. So far, I'm going to get a chance to work with Stoney, who I know has been on this show. Great guy. Love Stoney. Before the end of the month of July, I'll get to do shows with him. Um, I'm going to go with Jeff Rieger. I've heard that. Yeah, I've never Just met a Jeff. great guy. Yeah, everybody loves Jeff. 
Also, never, also never a great dad. I don't know if he's, he's adorable online with his daughter. Oh, I'm sure he has me blocked. But, it's, you know, Jeff Rieger's, uh, I've never heard a bad word about Rieger ever. Everybody loves that guy. Mm-hmm. The thing about Rieger is that guy will get in a manager's face down at Comerica Park. Like, he had no, he did not give a shit. Like, he will ask Jim Wieland anything. I remember that, it was uh, Johnny Peralta. He got popped with PEDs. Yeah. And and I don't know that if I'm getting the story wrong, fine. But what I remember, because I didn't even hear this from Jeff, but I believe there was a, you know, you go to the media scrum, they go, hey, we're not taking any questions. Yeah. Uh, First question, I think it was Rieger. He goes, so what about Johnny Pope? Yeah, I remember. Like, could, because you have to ask the question, and, and he's always been willing to do that. I, I just I respect anybody that does that. That's like kind of a dying art. I mean, we talked about self-awareness being a dying art. Like Having any balls in the media room is a dying art. Everyone's afraid to alienate the team or access journals and all that shit. Jeff Rieger just doesn't care. He's going to ask what he needs to ask. So, yeah, I definitely respect Jeff. And I've heard he's like the nicest guy there. So not surprised that's the answer. Let's go a little more negative, a little more on brand for the Spiro Avenue show. The worst fan base in <laughs> sports. We we did a you know Major League Two reference there with with crazy uh, Randy Quaid. But worst fan base in all sports, just whiny, arrogant, whatever you want to put it. The first that comes to mind, and I don't even know if this would be my answer over much deliberation. Probably the Yankees. Yankee fans are just insufferable. Have you been there, like Yankee Stadium? I haven't been. Yeah, which I'm sure would be a whole. You don't experience. need to be to, to have that take, by the way. Yeah, because I had that take before I went, and then it was reinforced. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to. I'd say Yankees, maybe Cowboy fans, stuff like that. But yeah, no, Yankees are different because there's just so much hate and vitriol, and I love that they're so passionate about their team. But when it just bleeds into ridiculousness, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of that. My buddy James and I went to uh, Yankee Stadium in 2011 when the Tigers euthanized them, struck out a Rod to beat him in game five. Um, was it Ben Wast? No, no, it was um, fucking uh, whatever, whoever it was, whoever struck him out. I think it was, I think it was Benoit. Or no, 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 it was uh, Valverde. Valverde. <laughs> yeah, see, I was drinking a lot that night. No, it was Jose Valverde struck out a Rod in game five in 2011 to go on to the ALCS, and we got crushed by Texas. But we were before the game, you know, it's a big game, tied 2-2, winner take all. We were wearing our Tiger shit. We're at this bar in the Bronx. Just weren't obnoxious. We were on drink zero. Like, just just minding our own business. People were coming up to us, like, elbowing us, like, just getting in our face. Like, you know, welcome to the Bronx, bitch. It's just, like, really bad. I will say the Oakland A's fans were worse, though, for the record. All, everything you don't like about Yankees fans, I'm 10. They were throwing shit at my wife. Like it was, it was pretty wild. Wow. So yeah, they suck. Anyway, Dan Campbell's Detroit peak. In other words, uh, the absolute best season, whether it's in year three or year 10 of the Dan Campbell era. What is the peak Dan Campbell season from five wins to wins the Super Bowl? Where does this guy peak before he retires or is fired or whatever? 10 wins. And any playoff success? Uh no, I don't think he's going to win a playoff game. Won't win a playoff game. So peaks at sort of the Jim Caldwell yeah. type, you know, I mean, that was 11 wins, but still Jim Caldwell ask. Yeah. I mean, I think they can make the playoffs, but I don't see him winning a playoff. I'm with you. I think he can, for the same reasons, Jim Caldwell was successful. Players will play for him. Yep. They're going to love him. Buy Culture in. will be great. Yep. Buy in will be good. If, if the guys just don't like want you dead, that's worth eight wins. Oh yeah. Like not in year one, but no. I mean like when you assemble any talent, if like the guys don't, or if they're not in open mutiny, that's like seven or eight wins right there. Well, and there's things that can change this, obviously. I mean, we're zero games into his career. Um, 
if Jared Goff's the quarterback, I definitely don't see him oh, in yeah, a playoff you know, game. He's, he's if they, if, they, if let's say Jared. they they nail the quarterback, and yeah. in the next two years, Holmes is like outfitting everything around him. Okay, but right now I'm going to go with ten. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like I see him being Jim Caldwell 2.0. That's that's where I see him. So speaking of the Lions and their ongoing torture of me and everyone that cares about them. <laughs> Will the Lions win a Super Bowl under Ford ownership? In other words, do you buy the whole like they'll never win with the Fords? We're on we're on family so, member number three right now. You know, and much like we said earlier, Chris isn't Mike. This is probably a bad take or an unpopular take. Sheila isn't Martha. Martha isn't Bill. So I'm not gonna lump them all together. I can't give you a year, and I certainly don't feel confident it's going to happen soon. But maybe before I die, I'm a young enough guy. Yeah, I could see the Lions winning a Super Bowl. And I feel like if you don't, and that gets beat out of you at some point in life, I just know it, it will if they don't get it done. But I think if you're going to be a Lions fan, in the back of your mind, you have to just have it back someday. Right? Modern medicine's doing great things. Keep me around a few more years. Yeah, I think they could win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. But and, and, and with under, that ownership. And, 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 and yes, with that ownership. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. I, I, I'm not denying I have the someday it'll happen. Because by the way, it's only to... when I say in my lifetime, it's it's going to be under that ownership. There's no reason you give up the football team. Like I know that's the everybody's favorite. Sell the team. You are you selling an NFL team? I don't know. I'm not they, selling an NFL yeah, team. I don't know what their estate structure looks like. That you know when when Martha dies because she's still technically the the owner. She's just not the uh, operating manager of that. And we don't know it because it's a you know private. Right. It's not a public company. We don't know what their succession plan is. There are a lot of smart people that think that their tax bill is going to be prohibitive, but I don't know. We don't know. Anyway, moving on. Your worst sports <laughs> take ever. I call myself on Twitter Darko State News because I thought Darko was going to be Will Chamberlain. One. I loved him. And it is a self-imposed scarlet letter to remind myself that as arrogant and narcissistic as I may be about my brilliant sports takes, even I can say the stupidest thing ever said. Your worst sports take ever. Where did you just... Blow it. I, I was going to say, I mean, where do I start, right? I mean, if you do this, you're going to be wrong a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I, I used to, you know, I'm right all the time. When you lean into being wrong every once in a while, it, the one I probably took a bunch of guff for. So I was not a Jawan Howard guy when they hired him. It, I thought the, the emotional press conference, I thought the tears were real, but I thought that was his biggest qualification, that he loved Michigan. It's like, can he coach? He's proved me wrong on that. Uh, if that's too recent, I, I was a believer in Stan Van Gundy, which just to bring this all full circle to how we started, egg on the face on that. Matt Patricia's very first game, it was a Monday night game against Sam Darnold, a rookie quarterback. I'm like, they got a defensive guru. They're going to blow the doors off on Monday night. And I was right about the doors being blown off, but the complete opposite direction. So those are the first few that come to mind. I love when they had the pick six on Darnold on the first yeah, play. I think of the it was game. Diggs had it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Lions are up seven nothing. We're like, fuck yeah, Patricia's the man. And they, that was like the only time they scored that game it was yep. like the first play of the game on defensive touchdown. Yeah, those are some bad ones, but I can't make fun of you because I liked all those takes too. I was a big Van Gundy guy. I wasn't negative about Juwan Howard. My position was nobody knows. I, I just didn't know. With Van Gundy, the right before the cap had jumped up, he had locked everybody into these super cheap deals. I was like. Damn, he's just manipulating. The problem was none of the guys were good, so it didn't matter that they got discounts on him. Yeah, they got a steep discount on Reggie Jackson. Everybody Yikes. loved that Reggie Jackson contract. Like, they got a starting point guard for $50 million. It's like, is the guy any good? Right. Like, no, the answer is no. Anyway, moving on. 
What's speaking of wrong sports take a sports take that most people get wrong. I am going to my grave. I don't care unless I see it happen that Lamar Jackson will never win a title. I get more flack from this in my various group chats than you can possibly imagine. Everyone loves Lamar, but that I dislike him. He's fun as hell to watch. Never going to win a title. I don't think you win those games in January. It's about standing back in the pocket, throwing 40 yard darts to the sideline. He cannot do that. We have seen again and again, he cannot do that. So this is something I think everyone gets wrong. What is a take that you think is the majority take that people are just wrong and you're kind of in the outlier group? So I think most people put too much emphasis on QB wins. And I think this manifests itself locally with the Stafford debate, and I could go there, but I think it's broader than that. I think even Tom Brady, who is the most accomplished quarterback of all time, I believe half the Super Bowls, he threw zero or one touchdown to win. Bill Belichick putting an elite defense out there. Tom Brady has had double-digit top 10 defenses in his career. I think Aaron Rodgers has had one and has one Super Bowl. I don't feel like the talent gap is 6-1 to one between Brady and Rodgers, but there are so many people who reduce it to QB wins, Super Bowl titles. I think you see it in the NBA, too, with the ring debate. It's like, okay, fine. Bill Russell's the greatest player of all time. Oh, no, we're going to have more nuance? Okay, then great. Then you can introduce guys like LeBron who don't have six like Jordan. But locally, I know this is the lightning round, but locally, people will do that with Stafford, too. And I just don't understand how you can be a Lions fan and go, they haven't run the ball since Barry. They've hired one idiot coach after idiot coach. They haven't played a lick of defense. Um, but Stafford didn't win any playoff games. Like, do you hear where you're, where you're coming from out of this? So I, I think people emphasize they, it's reductive too much on one individual in these team sports, specifically football more than any other. This isn't on the board, but I'm going to add it. We're going to shoe it in. Matt Stafford out there in LA, I am convinced. I feel the same way I did when Peyton Manning went to Denver. This is going to work. I think they're going to, I mean, it's tough to say any team's going to win the Super Bowl. It's hard. I've said that exactly. Weird stuff happens, but like they are my pick to win one of the next two. I, I just, I think it works. I think he has an incredible year. I mean, I'm not a huge fantasy guy, but if you're a fantasy guy, draft his ass. Yeah. Like, I, I just, it's going to be a resounding success. He, right? he can do things Goff couldn't do. McVay knows that the offense is going to go to another level. Yeah. And, and this is the, the most, it's the best organization he's ever played for, the best coaching staff he's ever played for. I think, I think it's going to be really, I mean, not, not just because we're going to be interested to see what he does locally here. I think he's going to do big things like on the scale of playoff wins, deep runs, and, yeah, I think he's good enough to win a Super Bowl. If, if there was a better oh. team in Detroit, he could have won a Super Bowl. Absolutely. That's I always like Joe Flacco, who had an incredible playoff run that right. year. His eight touchdowns, no picks. Yeah, he was just he was electric. But Stafford is a much better quarterback than Joe Flacco. This I I, I totally agree on the Stafford thing. I was I called a stupid defender, a blind defender. Stafford guy was not the problem. He was in fact the least of the problems here. And I think we're going to see that. I mean, obviously, his knee could get you know, Yeah, exactly. I, I say, yeah, okay, like, thanks. We know that. But barring something unforeseen, that's going to work. So, yeah, glad you agree. I feel better already. So let's finish here. The last one. A little more fun. <laughs> this, these guys can be retired, active. I don't care. Three Detroit athletes that you would go on a trip to Vegas with. You're going to a weekend trip. You got... Two days, or let's say three days, two nights. What three guys are you bringing? Oh, man. 
This the first person, one. the first person that popped in my head, and I don't know that he and I would have a good time together, but he would make it a crazy. Th- Dennis Rodman is probably on this list. And he right? loves Vegas. He too. loves Vegas. Yeah. I mean, he gets you yeah. in all kinds of places. So we'll put him on the list just because he's the first guy that popped into mind. I want guys who are going to have a good time. Um, so these aren't even necessarily my favorite Detroit athletes. You got to pick no, people it, who are going to have a good time. It's a very specific context. Yeah, these guys could be like, guys that didn't even play, but they'd be fun. I heard Darvin Ham was a really fun guy. The guy was not a good basketball player, but maybe Darvin Ham's on the Vegas trip. So we got Dennis Rodman. Okay. Uh, Rashid Wallace. We're just going to go all in on on Zany and crazy and fun. Yeah. But you got a couple of just wild you know, cards. Yeah, a couple of wild cards. I mean, that's what sure. Vegas is, right? And then... I feel like now, not to advise your list, but don't you need somebody like to... To mellow us out? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, to be the adult in the yeah, room? Because you so guys are going to end up in prison. We're gonna, point, so who's like, the most adult, like, dad in the room Detroit athlete I could do to round this Sean up? Sean Casey for the Tigers. <laughs> I just can't get the man. It just, man, it just makes man. no sense with yeah. the... Well, <laughs> Someone's. I mean, I don't know. It's your list, but well, I feel like you're getting like two. You can't have a. Third we got to rein it in. All right, we got to yeah. rein it in. Okay, because you're not going to be able to control those two guys. So no. Okay. Um. I'm just thinking the most boring Detroit athlete possible. I'm going down the wrong rabbit hole. It's much of a lightning round. Um, it's a tough one to throw you on the spot. Yeah, it's man. a tough one. Yeah, let's go Sean Casey as our. Yeah, team. we're going with Sean Casey. <laughs> I think it's a good one. This guy's nickname was the Mayor. What more do you want? There we go. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a, that'd be that'd be a good one. Rodman's a fun one, man. I mean, what a character that guy was. And you hear those stories of him, like with Carmen Electra in Vegas back in the day. And yeah, that, that, that's a good one. So, man, Jim Casa, you said no to me six, seven, eight, nine times. I don't know. Who's counting? Check. Yeah. Well, I was. I actually it broke my heart every time that you rejected <laughs> me, but I got a lot of practice in high school with that, actually. So go. I'm well versed in rejection. But it was great to have this you. This is fun. Did I terrify you? No, this is, you got a good setup. This is a good time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So you'll come back, right? Sure. Yeah. You're, it's, yeah. That wasn't a super... Yeah. See, see the way your voice went off? <laughs> see, 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 you really are experienced with yeah. this. Like, sure. Yeah, yeah. It sounds great. Have a great summer. How, right? many, how many mean texts... Yeah, right. Have a good summer. How many mean texts are you going to send to your colleagues about this show? I don't know. We'll see. Hey, but. if they ask me, I'll tell them nothing to be afraid of. How yeah. about that? How about that? All right. So you're a little mean on Jared Goff. Other than that, I think we're mostly, okay. you know, dancing in line. I think we're sunny and sure over here. So uh, yeah, big thanks to you for coming out. I have said repeatedly, I think you are a rising talent in your field. Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit off air. I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm, I'm enjoying that you're in this market now. Yeah, you're in Grand Rapids. Here. Welcome to this side of the state. Uh, it's great to have you. And I think you got a bright future ahead. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm loving what you're doing there. Seriously. No, I appreciate it. I mean, this is I loved getting the chance to do what I did in Grand Rapids. Had a lot of fun, but Detroit's always been home, and and this is couldn't ask for anything more. Good to have you in the bigger market in the state, man. So we do have Ben Augusta, the great and powerful Oz, on the other side of the wall. A colleague that you didn't know was a colleague works at ninety seven one. The ticket as go. well. You know, we're just skyrocketing and launching careers all over the place here in our little basement Wayne's world. <laughs> uh, Eric Williamson, who is. Definitely at this hour in his boxers on his couch, probably watching this live, having like some Doritos. So thank you to Eric. Thank you to Dylan Smith, social media guy at home. Bureau Avenue show is back. We are rolling. There's a lot of fun stuff coming down the road. So uh, stick with us. It's been fun. We got linear growth. We love you for it. This was Jim Costa, 97.1 The Ticket, joining us for his Bureau Avenue debut. Bureau Avenue show, number 36. We'll see you next time. Thank you. All.